This is The Doctor Is In, your bi-weekly podcast that discusses all things technical and not so technical. The Doctor Is In podcast is produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and sponsored by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. And now, here's your host, QST editor Steve Ford, WB8IMY, and the doctor himself, Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Hello, I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. And I'm Joel Hallis, W1ZR. I want to talk about antennas again, Joel, because that's, of course, our favorite topic. And, and sure. the favorite topic of a lot of people, Absolutely. frankly. In particular, I want to talk about big antennas. I'm not talking about the big floppy beams on the towers, but I'm talking instead about wire antennas, loops, rhombics. I mean the real, what I consider, at least for my postage stamp, lot to be monster antennas, the big wire antennas. And I know you have a fair amount of experience in that. I do. I, I spent most of my uh, ham career using wire antennas exclusively. Now I've got a three-element tri-bander, which is uh, a nice departure. But, um, but most of my 65 years as a ham have been using wire antennas, not monster wire antennas particularly, but uh, some pretty big. Way back in the day, and I don't know when it was finally taken down, but here at league headquarters, there used to be a gigantic rhombic antenna that stretched way back into the woods that are behind the headquarters building here. And I'm not sure how big that thing was, but it was something that you almost had to view from the air to <laughs> to, to see it. And uh, what about rhombics? I mean, you don't see a lot of people putting those up unless they have a lot of land. But Well, um, you know, I actually had one. <laughs> Oh, I wrote an article about it in QST. I forget when it was, but uh, some years back. And I called it an imperfect rhombic. And I guess I was stressing the fact that, you know, you see all these uh, rhombic articles and all the dimensions and the angles and everything have to be just so well. That's good. But um, if the trees aren't in the right place, then... Then what do you do? Yeah. yeah. I actually found it worked quite well. That is until this uh, 100-foot tulip tree came down through it, but uh, <laughs> which took care of my rhombic. But um, it was quite nice, and I had it set up so I could switch directions. I've always envisioned rhombics as being just a big loop of wire. Is that not the case? Is there more to it than that? Well, the usual rhombic, the uh, traveling wave type, which is essentially just a transmission line that's widely spaced. Oh, okay. We all know that um, if, you, if your <laughs> open wire transmission line is too widely spaced, it'll radiate. That's right. And if you make it do that and you have the angles right so they add up in the right directions, it can be a very effective antenna. And um, it'll work as a transmission line if it's terminated. Ah, and in what? A resistance? A resistance. Uh, typically 600 ohm resistance. You know, one end has the resistance and the other end has the transmission line going to the radio. And usually what people do, or what often happens, is they, they bring them both into a position sort of in the middle and they switch the two connections. I did it a little differently. I brought both ends into the shack. The terminating resistor has to um, dissipate about half the transmitter power. Oh. So it's got to be pretty hefty. Yes. And it's not trivial to get a 600 ohm. I mean, people sell them, but they are really thinking of selling them to the military and they, they're pretty pricey. Yes. <laughs> but uh, you can make your own termination. But what I did is something a little differently. I used a ballon. I happen to have nine to one balance. She really wants a 12 to one, but I had nine to one. So I used them. That gets you quite close and it transitions from the balanced uh, open wire uh, environment. In my case, I used window line. 
What I did was I went from there to a 50-ohm system with the Ballon, and then I could use a um, $29 Cantena oh. <laughs> as the termination. Well, so, yeah, I guess you could. I, yeah. It worked very well. And I did something even a little different than that. I, I actually put an antenna tuner in there, and you can actually tune the antenna tuner on the termination side to give you optimum front-to-back ratio. <laughs> So it was kind of, you know, I enjoy playing with things, so it was kind of interesting to try this. You don't need to do that. And it's, um, you know, one nice thing about a terminated rhombic, you know, if you do it right and you have the right transformation ratio and stuff in your in your ballon, it has a very flat standing wave ratio, essentially on all frequencies, even though it doesn't radiate well on all frequencies. But it's a transmission line, so it... <laughs> <laughs> terminated transmission lines. Well, I was going to ask, what is the attraction of rhombics? Not that you see them all over the place, but they're popular for broadcasters, I noticed, shortwave broadcast. Now, what I did with mine, I aim it right down the throat of the uh, Mediterranean. I happen to have the trees that could support that. Okay. And that's, that's a good direction for DX because a little either side where the gain is not quite as high, you're closer typically to uh, Europe and North Africa, but then if you really can get right down there, get over into uh, Southeast Asia and so forth. So it's it's an, a good direction for me. Going the other way is not quite as good, but but it worked. And the attraction is you get a high gain, a relatively low angle, and it's just um, you know wide band covers. That's another thing. It it um, it can work well over a two to one frequency range. So you can design it, optimize it for perhaps 15 meters, and it'll work great from 20 to 10 meters. Oh, so it's a multi-band antenna then. And, and, you know, unlike many multi-band antennas, because it has a 600-ohm impedance, no matter what, it doesn't require any antenna tuners or fancy multi-band switching arrangements or anything. Mm-hmm. It just it just sits there. And uh, hams have used them for years. I've worked quite a few people with them over the years. And in fact, when I was at Fort Monmouth in my Army days, K2USA had a monster rhombic headed towards Europe, and uh, it was over the parade ground. Every time we went out marching, we uh, got to look at the rhombic. Well, how far off the ground do the wires of the rhombic need to be? Well, I like many antennas, it's um, the more the better. But in my case, they were about, I would say, 50, 60, 70 feet Oh, I, well, so I, have, I have tall trees. Oh, okay. And do they do they always need to be in a particular shape? For some reason, I've envisioned rhombics as having kind of a diamond shape. That's the usual shape. That's the usual shape. Okay. And and again, the angles are critical for getting you the pattern that you uh, want to get on the bands that you want. The ARL antenna book and and many other sources have design charts for rhombic. But look at the, you know, it doesn't have to be precise. Look at the thing I did, the imperfect rhombic that I described in QST. So that's a, a traveling wave antenna. And uh, there aren't too many traveling wave antennas. The, the beverage is one also, a terminated Yeah, that we discussed before, yes. Is, is one, even though it's a just a receive antenna. And there are other monster, what I call monster antennas, like right. the uh, Lazy H. Yeah, can well, be pretty big. Now we're talking about a different category, I, the standing wave type antennas, which is our usual antenna. Um, a dipole is a standing wave antenna. It has a current and voltage pattern, which is constant over the uh, length of dipole, unlike the traveling wave in which the signal travels down this transmission line sort of thing. They're very effective, but they do tend to be narrow, have narrower bandwidth. And the, the Lazy H is a, is a great one. I've, I've used Lazy H's. And the uh, so, sort of the, the opposite thing is an 8JK antenna. Named I've antenna. heard of that. Yeah. yeah. I've used both of them with very good results. The Lazy H is just a pair of dipoles fed in phase, one above each other. Oh. So you get a reinforcement at low angles. 
and you tend to get a cancellation at high angles. The HJK is sort of the opposite. The HJK is a pair of dipoles at the same height fed out of phase, so they actually cancel going up and down, and they reinforce going at low angles. Now, the problem with the HJK, or a problem with the HJK, is that it because it's out of phase, it tends to have very low impedance. And so when you feed it with your open wire line, which you need to do to match it on multiple bands, you have some very high standing wave ratios. On I the, can imagine. Uh, but I found it worked fine. You know, I worked a lot of DX with that. And it worked again on, on about a two-to-one frequency range. And you had the property to put one of these things up. Well, it's, it's really not any bigger than a dipole. Well, that's true, except sort of stacked. After yeah, and that's uh, I should mention one of the limitations of the lazy H that I found is it's it's basically two dipoles and they need to be separated about a half wavelength. But if you can't get the bottom dipole at least a half wavelength above the ground, it doesn't make any sense. It works better with just having the up the higher yes. dipole will actually work better than having the two of them. Yeah, because that's, because that's true. Yeah. If you have the two of them, the um the effective center of radiation is halfway in between them. So you end up with a lower antenna and you end up with higher angle propagation. So by having a single dipole at the top location, you can actually do better if you can't get high enough. Now the HAK doesn't have that problem. No. Thinking about antennas for the HF bands that are particularly massive and impressive, one that comes to mind for me, a sentimental favorite is, uh, as you know, I'm a native of Dayton, Ohio, and enjoyed a number of trips going up and down Interstate 75 back in the day. And you would always see the Voice of America Bethany Relay. They had enormous wire antennas that, and this is before I was even a ham, that looked like a, a crazed spider had made them. <laughs> and I didn't realize till much, much later that these are uh, curtain arrays. Yeah. Is that what they're called? That's one. What What are those things, really? Well, well they're, they're just um, like taking a lazy H and having another one next to it, and another one above it, and another one below it. And, and sometimes they have vertical ones and horizontal ones. <laughs> and usually they have a back screen behind them. You're right. I recall seeing that. Yeah. You don't have to, but I mean, usually you mm -hmm. want to go one particular direction. Yeah, and they're, they're very popular with international broadcasters. I was driving around Spain one time. I happened upon, I guess, uh, Radio España or something, and it had the same kind of thing, and it was fed with open wire line and um, just a monster great uh, array. And, and, of course, every time the general rule is if you double the size of an array like that, if you do it all right, you get close to 3 dB additional gain. So it's kind of diminishing returns. So you double lazy H, you get four dipoles, and you get about 3 dB gain. And then, But you'd have to do it uh, the next time. You have to do um, another four, and then you have to do another eight, and so forth. So each of those 3 dB points come a little more expensively as you progress in size. But, of course, if yes. you're an international broadcaster, you probably don't have a lot of restrictions on your budget. You know, it's not a terribly expensive kind of antenna. It's just wire. Yeah. You need to have something to hang it on, and uh, it has to have masts. But, uh, well, they had big towers with yeah. aircraft navigation lights on the top of them. And oh, yeah. It was a, almost a spooky thing to see as you were driving up the highway. There is still one, by the way, in eastern Pennsylvania, and I can't remember the interstate. I want to say I-79, but I'm probably wrong. It's right on the side of the interstate. It's a religious broadcaster, and I don't remember the call sign. But they have a smaller but still very impressive uh, curtain array right off the side of the of the highway. I'm sure a number of our listeners who live in that area know exactly what I'm talking about. 
taking it for granted that hams don't put up curtain arrays. Am I wrong or? Well, there's no reason not to. I mean, the, the, the problem is with all of these antennas, you get this gain uh, by focusing the energy in a very narrow beam, and uh, which is fine if you just want to talk to one person. <laughs> yes. or, or one particular area of the world, yes. Yeah, you know, that, that works. But in many cases, you really want to talk to more people. Now, you can actually change the phase between the uh, elements of the curtain and, and uh, steer it yes. a certain limited amount. And that's feasible, but it, it requires some uh, fancy footwork. And, and uh, <laughs> usually, you know, the phasing is, is kind of band specific. It's, uh, so you have to, uh, if it's all fed in phase, everything's the same length typically. So that works on all bands. But if you want to shift the phase particular amount, that will only work on that one particular band. And, and as you say, a lot of fancy footwork. Yeah. But it's been done. Well, I guess um, very popular in vertical arrays. Um, oh, yeah. The uh, four square kind of thing where you have four vertical monopoles and you feed them in such a way that they can get, I don't know how many directions you can get out, at least four, but maybe more. Just by switching the phase around. Just by switching the yeah. phase around. And if they're coaxial fed antennas, you can use re coax relays and you have delay lines. And if it's for one band, it's not too terrible. No, not at all. Well, Joel, let's take a break and listen to DX Engineering, and we will be back. Okay. Our fellow hams have told us how much they love receiving the DX Engineering catalog. It's 132 pages of amateur radio heaven, packed with competitively priced equipment. You'll find everything from multiband Yagis to whip antennas, the latest bass transceivers to mobile radios, and every accessory under the sun. But the catalog only represents a small part of what DX Engineering offers. When you visit DXEngineering.com, you'll find thousands of items from trusted names like ICOM, Yesu, Kenwood, and Alinko. There's world-famous antennas from OptiBeam, E-Antennas, and M-Squared, Roan and American Towers, plus many more. And shop a wide selection of innovative DX Engineering brand products. They're designed and manufactured by our team of amateur radio enthusiasts for hams just like you. Plus, you get the fastest shipping in the ham universe, and shipping is free on most orders over $99. Experience ham radio heaven at dxengineering.com. That's dxengineering.com. And we're back with a question from Bill, WA6SZE, and he's asking, I hear ham saying that they use their 20, 15, and 10-meter Yagi's on 17 meters by using an antenna tuner. It seems to me that while you can tune a 20 meter driven element to load on 17 meters, both director and reflector would be long and would act as reflectors. Is that what would happen? I don't think so. The, um, the usual reflector is about 5% longer than a half-wave driven element. These would be a lot longer than that, so I don't think they're close enough to resonance have much of an effect on the directional property. I, I have a tri-bander and I have a couple of other antennas that I use on 17 meters and I've done some comparisons just to see what would happen. I find that if I compare the 2015-10 Yagi to my 17 meter coupled resonator dipole that's even lower, that that works much better and my um, center-fed ZEP works even better than that. So I think that the Yagi only seems good Mm -hmm. if you don't have anything to compare it to. <laughs> I mean, it'll work. That, that's true of many things in life. <laughs> it's absolutely right. And one of the issues is that the SWR that I measure from my tri-bander on 17 meters through 100 feet of RG213 is 8.4 to 1. Now, if we use TLW software, that says that the antenna SWR is more than 52 to 1. 
Whoa. <laughs> and the coax loss is 7.5 dB. <laughs> so while my tuner can tune the 8.4 SWR that shows up at the station, that's only part of the story. And really, oh. I think that's a big part of why they don't work as well. Now, of course, if you have a much shorter coax run, but on the other hand, if you have a tri-band Yagi, chances are it's pretty <laughs> far up. <laughs> you, know, you have pretty fair coax runs. You could feed it with hard line. You could, but I think it'd be better, it'd be cheaper to just put up a 17-meter dipole. <laughs> yes. So, so, you know, the, the things you, you know, almost anything will radiate somewhat, but... Um, even a light bulb. Even a light bulb, but this is not an optimum antenna. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. My pleasure. If you have a question for the doctor, email us at doctor at ARRL.org. The Doctor is In podcast is sponsored by DX Engineering at www.dxengineering.com. Background music provided by Purple Planet at www.purple-planet.com. This podcast is copyright ARRL. All rights are reserved. Until next time, I'm QST Managing Editor Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73, and thanks for listening.